Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hey, it's Nick Vance, Paranoid Futures. Uh, you can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support The Void, you can consider joining our Patreon. Joining me now is the film programmer mastermind behind Screen Screen. She also works at the Archive in Colorado. That's right. That's the correct title, isn't it? Yes. Please welcome to The Void, Teresa Mercado. Teresa, how are you doing today? Good, Jim. Thank you for having me. So this is part of our, our the Cinematic Void podcast film programmer series. And I just thought it'd be kind of cool to talk to a bunch of my friends that, you know, program films across the country. I get to work with some of, some of you guys during January Giallo, but it's like, I, I, I was interested in talking shop and learning about like the nuts and bolts of how everyone works because everyone else has different methods than how I do. And it's just, I don't know. I, I'm into this kind of inside insider baseball shit for this kind of stuff. But before we get too inside, I guess just to kind of kick things off, can you tell me how um, Scream Screen started? Yes, absolutely, Jim. So Scream Screen actually started under a different moniker. Um, a partner of mine, Keith Garcia, he is uh, the creative director of the C Film Center here in Denver, which is home of Denver Film and the Denver Film Festival. He was actually working uh, at this time at the Alamo Draft House, which we had just got our first Alamo in the Denver metro area. We now have three, but he was the programmer at our Littleton location, and uh, he had actually approached me. We had been friends and, and lovers of cinema for many years, and he approached me about collaborating on a series um, that was called Channel Z. And it would be kind of a two-person, two-part series that would take place every Friday and Saturday night. The, the Friday night would be like pure cult cinema, and the Saturday night would be pure horror genre cinema. And uh, so we actually kicked that off and did Channel Z. And I had been doing screenings around Denver for, for many years, but at bars and at private events and at parties and just kind of more experiential stuff outside of a theater scope. So I jumped at the opportunity to, to work with him because he's a programmer I really look up to and admire with great taste. And I knew that together we could create some really fun experiential stuff. Um, so with Channel Z, we I always love doing cosplay and, and creating um, – I used to hand make little trinkets and souvenirs for people to take home um, when our audiences were smaller and decorating the theater and just doing cool stuff. So people had, you know, more of this experience than just seeing a movie that they've already seen a million times. So Channel Z took off, um, you know, pretty decent attendance. And that went for about a year or so. And then Keith's career path kind of changed direction and he left the Alamo and um, I was given an opportunity to kind of continue a program of my own. And that's when I came up with Scream Screen, which would be pure horror, pure genre. That's deviated a little bit over the past 10 years, but um, I continued there for, for a short time. And then Scream Screen now and for, for almost a decade has been at the C Film Center in Denver, which has been a, a great, great home. And they have let me really um, do some things that probably other theaters wouldn't let me do, covering myself with uh, 
real raw meat in the lobby and uh, doing, you know, kind of some shocking performance art stuff in the lobby to shock people when they come out of the screenings. So I'm very grateful to that theater for really just kind of giving me carte blanche in a lot of ways to to do what I like to do, which is more than just putting a, a movie on a screen. One of the things I love about what you do, and one of the things I'm really envious about, because I, if I could figure out a way how to do it out here, like in a reasonable way, I'd love to do it. Is you have bands play with the movies, and like you know, I think your background and a couple other people that I'll be talking to have like come out of like punk hardcore and like that kind of scene. Can you talk about how that was incorporated into your screenings? Yes, absolutely. So that is something that I, I love doing is I'm a huge music fan. I'm not a musician, but I love music and I go to shows actively and, and two of my loves, cinema and music, how could those kind of work together? And years ago, I had actually done um, just a fun series called Church of Cohen with a friend, Ian O'Doherty. And we were showing every Cohen Brothers movie in chronological order leading up to, uh, I believe it was Hail Caesar at that time, to just give everybody a refresher course on you know their amazing filmography. And my friend Ian actually had the idea with that series because he's a musician. And he records and mixes and has a studio. He was like, you know, it would be cool for each Cohen movie is to have a musical guest, but they are not going to play their music. We are going to tell them what they're going to play, but it has to be something from that Cohen Brothers movie. And I was like, oh my God, that's a great idea. So we brought in, he brought in a lot of uh, local music talent from Denver. We have such amazing music scene here. Um, Nathaniel Rateleaf was actually our first guest. And that was before he kind of shot to superstardom with the night sweats. And uh, that was for blood simple, which is the Cohen's first movie. And forgive me, I'm not going to remember the exact name of the song, but um, that great song from Blood Simple, uh, sweet as a sugar beet, but like a sugar beet lies, you're going to leave my heart in stings or whatever. I'm probably butchering those lyrics. But um, we had Slim Cessna play from Slim Cessna's Auto Club and just a lot of amazing Denver musicians covering little songs, little snippets from those films and really making it into their own thing. And it was really cool. And that inspired me to say, well, God, this is awesome. And there's so many people that would love to play uh, music with some of their favorite movies. So that's when I decided, well, you know, Scream Screen can do this. Scream Screen can have bands, but I'm going to let them play what they want. I'm not going to force them to play what I want them to play. And they play a full set before a film. And again, the C was very receptive to that. And um, I've had many, many, many bands, solo musicians, um, weird noise projects, hardcore bands, punk, uh, solo cellists, a variety of kind of different things. But but my big, um, that I feel really strongly is, is pairing the right musician with the right film. It's not just bringing on a friend because, hey, it'd be fun if you play. It's really pairing the right things to make the, the film elevate to that next level and people are remembering both that musical performance paired with that film and not separately it's it's a great approach because the way i've always looked at film programming is like you know i was in bands and stuff and i always look at it like whether it's a single feature double feature is like you're booking a show and that's always been my mentality so it's like if you do like a double feature it's like 
who's the headliner, who's the opener, or like who's like the obscure band that you're trying to get people into, or you know the movie thing. So I I think it's a very natural thing, and I I think it's just awesome that you do that. When you program movies, is there a particular kind of I know horror is a big genre, but is there a certain type you always want to look to, or are you just you know whatever kind of like whatever you think is going to strike the mood for you to program at any given time? Yeah, that's a great question. So so for me, you know, I love I love horror, but I I love all cinema. And I'm sure you kind of get pigeonholed into this where people think that's all that all you like is horror and that's all you know about. And and it kind of limits you in some ways. But first and foremost, I love film. I love cinema. I love high art to lowbrow and everything in between. I love trash and sleaze. I love I love everything. But horror has always, you know, struck a chord with me. But there's so many subgenres and there's endless films and constantly discovering new things that you've never heard of and directors you've never seen. So I think first and foremost for me, it's sharing films that I love with people. It's sharing films that I think maybe are underseen that more eyes need to get on because they're they're deeper cut gems that maybe aren't in that mainstream canon. That's not to say I don't show occasionally, you know, oh, there's a print of Halloween, uh, a classic slasher that everybody loves. I don't necessarily steer away from that stuff either, but it's not always like what excites me to show. I do like showing challenging films. I like showing things that that make people uncomfortable. They can be a little more towards the, you know, shocking or just, you know, things that people are, are going to be there and say, this is something I probably want to have watched on my own, but I'm glad I experienced it. That's always, you know, I, I think for when you do genre stuff, it, there's a lot of people, at least in LA, there's a lot of people, everyone thinks there's a film, there are film programmers like, well, I know what I would play. And it would just be like all the big movies. And it's like, yeah, what do you do when you play every single one of them? Because you're not going to be able to play, you're not going to be able to go back to that well. Uh, one thing that I want to ask you about, have you ever felt pressure because of like, if you show something that's more on the obscure side and like, say that show doesn't draw as much, do you feel like you have to kind of make up for it and then show something a little more mainstreamy or accessible to like kind of build the audience back up do you have to do that kind of balancing act when it comes to like picking movies i used to actually beat myself quite up about attendance and numbers um but you know i'm very grateful and it's not lost on me scream screen has really over again almost 10 years got a really dedicated fan base there are people that i can show you know uh Angst, for example, the German film, which is extremely, extremely intense and hard to get through. I can show that to the same audience that will come see something like Halloween or come see Bubba Hotep. Um, because I, I, I'd like to believe that at this point in time, a lot of these folks that come to the screenings have, have trust me and trust Scream Screen that I'm going to show them something that's worthwhile. And, uh, you know, there was definitely in the early days, Sometimes there's, you know, 60 people in the theater, uh, you know, almost 200 seat theater and it, it looks empty and it's like, damn, you know, why aren't, why aren't they coming? Why aren't they here? But I think that comes with the time and the passion and, and I really do put in the work to try to make the, the screening something that people want to be at. And if they miss it, they're, you know, damn, I, I missed something cool. I'll be at the next one. And again, so many of the, the people that come to the screenings, they are regulars. They're at every screening. They don't miss the screenings. And at this point, you know, 
not to sound, you know, ego maniacal, but for the most part, if I show something, people, people will come to it and they're excited to, to not just see that film, but other, what other weird shit are they going to experience that evening? Now you mentioned branding and as much as like, it's like when you think I hate thinking in these social media fucking terms and all that branding content, you know, that kind of stuff. But you work with someone that like actually, you know, designs your logo, designs your flyers. I have someone similar that I work with. Could you talk about Fenny and like working with her and like getting getting that all out there? So I am, uh, in some ways I, I kind of, I do a little bit of like performance art stuff and I enjoy cinema, but I am in no way an artist. I can't draw. I can't paint. I can't. I can't even barely play Pictionary. It's embarrassing. So um, my my best friend is an amazing artist. Her name is Fanny Hagman. She's uh, from Gothenburg, Sweden. She's lived in Denver, I think, probably a decade now. And uh, she is the exact opposite of me, where I can just give her a very uh, loose and cryptic idea of what I want, and she turns it into what I thought I wanted, but couldn't even put in my own brain. Uh, She draws, she paints, she does graphic design, screen printing. So Benny uh, is actually married to one of my, my best friends. And uh, when they started dating, he said, Oh, I'm I'm dating this amazing woman. I can't wait for you to meet her. The two of you are going to be best friends. She loves horror movies and she loves all this weird shit you love. And he actually brought her to a screening I was doing and we were, instantaneous had so much in common with film and life and she's amazing and um i i didn't know at that point the depth of her artistic abilities but out of nowhere without me ever asking her she actually created a screen screen hand screened poster um and i had a, a very special dog at the time named baba who was kind of my companion this dog was with me everywhere i would go And Fanny started creating this really funny series of posters. And it was always me in the posters, which I felt kind of weird having my image on the posters. I didn't think it was necessary, but she would make them very funny where I'm in some kind of costume from the movie. And then my dog was always in these posters. She made a really funny poster for a series I was doing um, uh, about Giallo films of Argento. And, and Baba was like holding a switchblade and it was just really funny. And I was the creepy little doll, robot doll from Deep Red. And so she was hand screen printing these posters and she asked, can I come sell them at Scream Screen? And I was like, uh, they're amazing, but nobody's going to want to buy a poster with my face on it. Nobody's going to want that. So she brings the posters, sells them out immediately. And I was like, huh, interesting. <laughs> And then she creates a logo for Scream Screen that's this cool inverted image that's like a mirror. And then she just started doing these posters for every series I would do, and people just gobbled them up. And I was like, wow, these are cool. You're onto something. I don't know who's going to want to look at my ugly mug on their wall, but okay. And then Finney just kind of rolled with it and just started creating more and more branding and logos and, and content for me. And now um, she is is my artist, and I, I am very grateful. She has done such a good job. The Scream Screen uh, logo and art is very identifiable. And um, as much as it, sometimes I feel weird about it, my face has kind of become a part 
of whatever film or series I'm doing. And she, she always tweaks it. I did like a March meltness series of all melt. And it's like my face melting. Um, and, and she's just really, they're really funny. <laughs> and I've come, I, I had an accident and I broke out a tooth actually with her in Sweden. And now she updated the art. So in every poster, now I'm missing a tooth and, uh, she changes my hairstyles and whatever, you know, um, whatever shortcomings I have in my look at that time, she makes sure she incorporates into the art. But uh, yeah, she's an incredible artist. I, I don't do anything without her art now. And I'm so grateful to have such a strong branding. And that is all her. Fanny Hagman, she also runs a horror apparel company called Colts Legacy, coltslegacy.com uh, of awesome horror apparel and cards and enamel pins. And uh, she also, most importantly, has wonderful taste in film. Yeah, I, it was a pleasure to meet Fenny when I got to go out to Denver and do January Giallo with you and Keith and all that. And uh, I got the deep red, the puppet shirt that she made, which is incredible. And then when I got back here, I actually ordered the one, the black love pin that she made. So she does incredible work and has it. So definitely check out Cult Legacy. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about, and I'm just kind of curious, depending on the region, do you find your audience prefers like 35 millimeter over digital or does it not matter? Does format not matter for you or for your audience? I think my audience can go either way. Uh, some, I feel very strongly and try to show 35 as much as possible when possible. The C Film Center is the only theater in, in Denver proper, not outside Denver, that does still have the capabilities to show film. So whenever there is a, a good print, a usable print, a cost-effective print, I do show 35 as much as possible. Some of my audience, absolutely, they will specifically come to something because it is shown on film and they are a purist for that and it's a rare opportunity to experience it on that format um other people are not so so picky about it they're just stoked to see the movie and then quite frankly now with so many amazing companies doing restorations a lot of times now with the blu-rays and the uhds i mean you can't beat that uh they look amazing they sound amazing but for me personally seeing a print is always my preference unless that print is just beat to shit or it's so red or it's so uh, brittle that it's gonna break but that's the experience that to me is really really something special but yes my audience can kind of go either way some are like yes a print others are like i don't really care i'm just stoked to see it that's actually really cool because like where i'm at it's very well you're not showing a film print it could be something that's like never being seen by any fucking human ever and they'd be like well i'm not going because it's not 35 millimeter print but i'm <laughs> i'm always curious about how like you know different areas like kind of view that stuff or you know because i have to deal i have to deal with complaints a lot but uh how far in advance do you plan your screenings like uh do you have like do you plan out a year in advance or are you just doing month to month or is it more on the fly or is it a little bit of everything it's a little bit of everything i uh, am a very ocd minded person so i pre-pan every element of my life as far out as i can because that's the way my brain works and the way i'm wired uh with Scream Screen, I try <laughs> to have things planned and booked and locked in as, as far in advance as possible. And, and Keith also likes to work that way uh, as he kind of manages the theater schedule. 
sometimes that happens uh, never a year in advance but sometimes it doesn't happen sometimes we're kind of making things happen at the last minute especially when you're bringing out special guests directors actors um some kind of talent you know it always is not as like immediate and quick as as you want it to be there's always a back and forth and you know gm you you may not realize how lucky you are living in la that you have access to so yeah. many amazing people and they live there and they can drive there and it's easy for them to commit to something because they're they're not having to get in a plane and it's a little tougher denver is an island we are surrounded by not a lot <laughs> not a lot of filmmakers are here so you know bringing out special guests it, it can be a little more challenging and figuring out schedules and travel logistics and just figuring out what works in their schedules it can take a lot more time than people realize sometimes months of going back and forth to secure somebody get their travel locked and then you know create that art and start that push um so for instance like we had been working on bringing Joe Bob Briggs out um, for summer of 2023. And, you know, we had started that process months and months before with emails and going back and forth. And he's extremely, extremely busy these days with the last drive-in on Shutter, but also he is constantly on the road doing screenings and doing um, horror conventions and film festivals and drive-in appearances. So sometimes it is it is uh, it is challenging to book things really far in advance. But that also when I do do bands, which are always Denver local bands or from surrounding areas, it is so much easier because you know they're just driving in. it's it's not setting up a whole logistical thing. So it is nice to be able to still do bands and do guests that kind of live within proximity to the theater. But um, I'm always thinking ahead. I'm always thinking to the next year, to certain months, to certain milestone dates of things. I always am writing notes to myself and putting things in my phone of ideas as they come to me and what would be a good timing and seasonal stuff. So in 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 some ways, yes, <laughs> I'm always planning in the future, but it's not always like actually the balls are rolling towards that per se. Yeah, it, uh, I'm kind of the same way. Like I could theoretically come up like this is what I'm going to show for the next few months. And it inevitably like the, if I get too far out, it's going to get blown up for some unforeseen reason. Uh, you know, you've done a lot of screenings and shows and all that. Uh, what are your, some of your favorite events you've gotten to host over the years? Oh, there's so many. Um, going back to the bands thing. So this is kind of a fun, fun story. And also uh, there's a amazing band called City Hunter, kind of a more obscure, hardcore band out of Denver, a uh, group of great guys all played in a variety of different hardcore and metal bands and, and noise projects but all for the most part horror dudes they love horror they love cinema and just just really great guys and they do a lot of fun creative stuff but they were in this band city hunter and um they rarely play they're kind of this like mysterious enigma band the the singer wears this mask and no one knows his true identity and i love that right off the bat this theatrical uh thing that you know no one knows who they are but they do a really insane live show um the singer the band starts playing and the singer's not on stage and he stomps through the audience with a giant butcher knife and people don't know if they're fucking about to get killed or if this is like part of the show and uh 
I won't say his name, even though everyone knows who he is at this point, but uh, they were very protective of their identity of the singer for a long time. And uh, he's a good friend and a, a great dude. And um, he would come to Scream Screen. That's actually how we became friends. And when uh, City Hunter kind of started blowing up in like the underground worlds of Denver, uh, I said, man, it'd be so cool. Would you guys ever like want to play before a movie? And he's like, oh, that'd be awesome. And uh, he loves giallo movies and slasher movies, obviously. And I had the opportunity uh, to show a 35 millimeter print Deep Red. And I said, would you guys be interested in playing that? He was like, oh, my God, that'd be amazing. So they were technically the first band that ever played Scream Screen. This was one of the first screenings at the, that theater, the C Film Center. And at this time, you know, I had just, it, it's going to be a band. They're playing like a 20-minute set before the movie. And the theater manager at that time was like, yep, sounds great. We'll just set them up in the lobby. Uh, they, have, they have a concession stand, a pretty generous lobby bar area, a bar Um and this is also like a nonprofit film center, three screen art house. So they have a mixed uh, bag of of uh, clientele that goes there from from families to older folks um, and everything in between. But so I did say, you know, there's going to be some blood. They do a lot of fake blood and decapitation and it's it's pretty crazy. And the manager's like, yeah, no problem. Just can you put like some plastic tarping down on the floor? We don't want to like stay in the concrete. And I was like, yeah, no problem. So uh, get there early and I'm tarping up the floor with plastic and duct tape and everything so people don't get hurt and uh, band setting up. And, you know, we're all really excited. And this this band also draws uh, a younger crowd that maybe hadn't been to that theater before, maybe hadn't been to a screen screen, which is awesome. So City Hunter, you know, they are, it's fucking crazy. And uh, they start playing and it's, it's very loud. <laughs> it's very crazy in a very small space in this lobby. Uh, I'm in full costume uh, as that creepy little robot doll from Deep Red. I have my hair slicked back. It's red. I have, you know, little doll teeth. I'm wearing a suit. I kind of barely look like a person. And uh, the band is playing. The singer comes out with his knife and his mask and a decapitated head. And there's fake blood just flying everywhere. And kids are going fucking crazy. And then, you know, some older folks start coming out of whatever, you know, movie they were seeing and are just like, what the fuck is happening? And uh, it's an assault to the senses, whether you're enjoying it or not. And all the theater staff is like coming out and watching. And uh, it was crazy. I think their, their set is literally like 15 or 20 minutes and then it's over and the singer just stomps away and you never see him again. And there's this blood everywhere and I'm down on the floor pulling out the tarps and trying to scrub up any blood. And um, the, the manager said, okay, yeah, we're not going to do that again. So there's no more bands in the lobby all bands will now be in the theater and I, I was just happy she said we're still gonna let you have bands because I thought it was gonna be okay if that's one and done you're never doing that again uh, but that was amazing so from that day forward there's never been a <laughs> scream scream musical guest in the lobby they've all been moved to the theater but you know what that's for the better because it sounds better and if things get crazy then it's contained to the theater but uh, that was a fun time and a fun memory and it kind of melted some people's faces off and as you would say some of the norms got a little freaked out but um hey that's part of the experience 
Um, I've also had so, some fun, um, brought out Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp. It was the first time she'd ever been to Colorado for a screening or for anything. And she was just absolutely delightful and so generous with her time. She was signing autographs till like one in the morning and she just gives 110%. She's just so fun and lovely. Um, brought out Brian Trenchard Smith, who is absolutely one of my favorite directors of all time. Um, directed such films as Dead End Drive-In, Turkey Shoot, uh, AK Escape 2000, uh, Leprechaun in Space, the list goes on and on. Absolute gentleman. He was so excited to come to Denver. I was so excited to have him. We had a great crowd. Um, and he was just a lovely human being. But the list goes on and on. There's been so many amazing screen screens for for different reasons, not always just the guest. Um, sometimes just amazing audiences that are so involved and engaged and dressed up. And we've we've done a lot of fun stuff over the years and you know, can't wait to just keep pushing the envelope as far as I can. So we just talked about, you know, some of your favorite events. Now, as a film programmer and someone who hosts events, things don't always go well. And sometimes shit just becomes a disaster or maybe not a disaster, but like things don't go as planned. Can you talk about some of the like tough shows you've had to do that haven't gone, you know, exactly perfect or may, maybe demoralized you? You don't have to go down too deep, but like I feel like everyone's had a show where it just like kicks the just knocks the wind out of you. You're like, why the fuck am I doing this? For sure. Um, uh, there's, there's been a time uh, where, you know, a film print is in the mix and for whatever reason, uh, you're not able to play that film print. And most people are very understanding, but sometimes not so much. And they may not understand the the all that goes into that. It's not just hitting play. It's a skilled projectionist working with a, uh, you know, a machine that requires a lot of knowledge. And uh, sometimes those film prints are not in the greatest condition or something happens. Um but that's always devastating for me when there is a print and for whatever reason at the event night of I'm told, hey, we can't play the print and I have to get up and tell people we're not playing the print. But, you know, we have a we have a backup DCP or whatever the situation is. But that always uh, to me is kind of just a kick in the gut because I feel like Ugh, this sucks, you know, especially um when it is that rare print that you're so excited about and it's like fuck we can't do it uh that that's happened that comes to mind and uh i definitely probably beat myself up more than anybody cares but um that sucks um i've never had any like well no i have had a couple no show guests that's always a mega bummer uh or not even a no show but they cancel you know the day of or the day before or hours before where you're just like damn that sucks <laughs> same thing just having to tell people like oh you signed up for this thing that's not happening um that's always really really disappointing especially when you put in you know that time and effort and and to make this experience and then 50 percent of it just went away but that happens you know things happen um i think i've definitely got better over time just trying to roll with the punches and that sometimes things aren't going to be perfect and that's just the way it goes I feel like you've gotten away pretty unscathed in this market because like I, I feel like there's things that happen that still haunt me <laughs> to this day that, <laughs> that questions me. I I guess the one and then 
there's been a few, but the one I think about is Seconds. I was showing Seconds on 35 millimeter. Seconds is, if not my favorite film, it's in my top 10. It's probably in the top five. Uh, the film print didn't show up on time. Like the person who shall name nameless shipped it ground instead of two day and Federal Express decided to take their sweet ass fucking time. So it didn't show up. We had a backup DCP backup DCP glitched and went out of sync. We had a backup Blu-ray. The Blu-ray player wouldn't work. So it's like it. it's the only time I've ever seen an event where like you're your main source that you want to play no shows your backup fails and your backup backup fails that's it not meant to be <laughs> well it, uh, later 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 that week they moved it to a, like a sunday matinee show so i got to finally see seconds on 35 millimeter but that was not fun i mean i've also had guests that have no showed or been really cranky once they've gotten there and hard to deal with and things like that so I, I'm just always curious if it's just maybe it's just the L.A. environment that brings out when things go to shit, it just goes to shit. Well, now you're making me nervous that there's a big catastrophe just waiting around the wings for me. So thanks, no, 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 Jim. no, no, you're, you're fine. If, if, it, if none of this stuff has happened yet, you're, you're you'll be fine. But I the, that's the one thing I always like to kind of share because there's a lot of people at, I'm sure you've met people that want to get into film programming just by the nature of the business. Like you're at a movie theater doing screenings and everyone's like, I have ideas and you know, I don't want to shit on anyone's dream. I think there's plenty of room for a variety of different film programs out there. I just always want people to know how not so easy it is to do this all the time. It's, it's not just picking movies and I guess for my next question is like, how do you look to like people that you collaborate with other than bands have the, you know, is there people that always reach out and say, Hey, I want to do this event with you and that kind of stuff. And how do you gauge what's like, you know, something that's good for you and the brand or versus, and I know this is going to sound mean, but like there's people that just want to kind of like parasitically kind of like use you to get what they want with not bestowing anything in return. Like, how do you gauge that kind of stuff? <clears throat> That's an excellent question. Um, so I'm going to be honest, I am not super into collaboration. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily work great with others. Uh, though in terms of, you know, yeah, guests, bands, Benny doing art, Keith Garcia, uh, wonderful relationships. Um, but I'm also, I am very, very picky about who I choose to work with. Uh, when, when people approach me about doing things, um, you know, I'm very, uh, I kind of want like a fleshed out concept from them. What exactly are they pitching or trying to do? And, and sometimes right off the bat, people haven't even thought that far in advance. They're just like, I want to do something with you, but they're not really bringing that necessarily to the table. Um, so I don't want to say I'm not open <laughs> to collaboration, but I am when it's like a, something awesome and something fun and exciting and new and fresh, or that's going to be great, but, but also where it is a collaboration, which to me is, is people working together as a team to, to bring something to life, not just, I want to work with you, but I, I'm not actually bringing anything to the table. Um, but like, you know, my relationship with Keith Garcia is wonderful. You know, I have ideas. He's, always very incredibly receptive to anything I pitch. Uh, and he always has great feedback on like, here's how maybe this could be better. Here's an idea 
of maybe why that won't work. Here's something that could be cool to add to that. I am always open to that kind of feedback. And he and I have done a, a lot of collaborations over the years. Um, you know, he'll come up with a concept and then ask me, like, do you want to be involved? Because he knows kind of that I'll bring a certain something to the table. And I appreciate that. But, um, yeah, we, we've we worked really well together for a long time. And, and it's nice to have somebody like that where you kind of know each other's work ethic and you know what each person is going to bring. And, and you can count on that to happen. But that's that's just kind of my own one of my personal quirks is I'm just very um, if it's me and my name is on it, I like it to be me and I know what is going to be delivered and there's no like mystery elements or counting on something that may or may not happen. Um, I have extreme anxiety and I just like things to be in control at all times that I can control and leaving things sometimes in other people's hands makes me um, riddled with fear and anxiety. I think that's a perfect answer for that question because, you know, it, there's a lot of people that want to collaborate and it's like define collaborate. Is it that I do all the work to do something for you or is it actually like a true collaboration? And I don't know. It's I, I love working with people. I love people bringing new things to the table and like that kind of stuff. But it's just at the same time, it's like I'm not going to do all the dirty work for you, which is I don't know. That's just me. Um, but you've mentioned your audience before and you have a very loyal audience that comes out to pretty much everything you'll show. Uh, how, you know, what methods do you go about kind of like getting the word about about shows? Obviously, if you have a loyal fan base, they know what you're playing. But like, you know, what methods do you go to try to kind of reach outside that scope and bring new blood in there? Because eventually, you know, depending on like the circumstances, people wage out of going to rep cinema. That's just a normal thing. Absolutely. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, we kind of, you mentioned social media before. So the blessing and the curse that is social media, I definitely spend way too much time uh, using social media, but sometimes I feel like in this day and age, I, I, it is the the primary thing. But definitely social media. Um, I'm still I'm old and I'm old school. So I still do flyers and posters for every single event I do. <laughs> I always shamelessly have posters in my bag and I will give flyers to any person that seems remotely interested. If I'm wearing a horror shirt and I'm at dinner and somebody says, oh, I love City of the Living Dead. I'm like, oh, do you? Because I'm showing this certain movie. Let me give you a flyer. And like one out of a thousand of those people will actually come, but I still try. Uh, I still go to every local record store and I hang up posters every month for all my screenings. And and I have, you know, I've lived in this city my whole life and um, I'm very blessed with a, a good group of friends too. that are very supportive and help me promote events and take fires and posters around town and hang up posters at their stores and at their things. And, um, you know, that goes a long way. I'm, I'm never, uh, I never believe that everybody knows what I'm doing or what's going on. And there's always new fans out there just waiting to know about an event. Um, I'm also very lucky because I do uh, run, I manage the Archive Colorado, which is a brick and mortar physical media store specializing in horror, but we have everything um, and are also uh, co-operated by Vinegar Syndrome. So right there, the, the customer base in there are genre fans and they, you know, love cinema. So having that opportunity to reach those people directly too 
a lot of the Scream Screen audience is customers of the store, and a lot of the customers of the store didn't know that there was rep screenings going on at this theater, and and you know we've, we're remedying that, and they have also now started coming to Scream Screen, but also realizing what a cool theater this is, and that they do a lot of really awesome stuff that maybe they weren't aware of. Um, but yes, I also have taken, you know, the show on the road a little bit, kind of going back to collaborating, but also just promoting. Um, I've been really lucky in the past couple years to do screenings in in Portland and Albuquerque and Austin and Chicago and a lot of different other cities. And, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily build the brand here in Denver, but it does build the Scream Scream brand and the Vinegar Syndrome brand showing a lot of, of Vinegar Syndrome films to like-minded cinema weirdos in all those different cities, because no matter where you go, there are film people that love genre cinema in every city, everywhere. <laughs> Uh, since you mentioned the archive, I that was going to be you kind of answered this question, but I kind of want to get a little bit deeper is like when you open the archive, obviously you had the vinegar syndrome, like physical media crowd, like, oh, wow, there's a place we can go buy, you know, all the latest, you know, Blu-rays and that kind of stuff. And you actually discovered that a lot of those people weren't aware of rep cinema. Do you is there I I this might be a rhetorical or non-answerable question, but do you do you think there is a real divide between people that are into physical media versus the rep cinema crowd? Obviously, there is a cross because they do exist, but like I also feel like it can be two different worlds at the same time. It can be two different worlds. So you and I are kind of we are both. We still buy and collect physical media to some extent, and we still love. Well, we're programmers, so that's one thing, but we also still love going to the movies. You know, I go to the movies as much as I can. I still love that experience. But I, I do know that there are people that are hardcore physical media collectors. They buy every new release, they buy every slipcover, every new Blu-ray, UHD, and they never set foot in the cinema. That's not their thing. They like to have that physical, tangible product. They like to see it on their shelves and organize it. And they like the experience of watching a film at home on their giant, amazing TV with 5-1 surround sound while eating or smoking weed or being with their dog or whatever it may be. And the theater doesn't offer them an experience that they enjoy. There's other people that go to the cinema every night of the week to see a movie or they stream stuff at home and they do not own a Blu-ray. They do not own a DVD. Uh, and then there's people that just consume it all and can't get enough and want more media in every capacity in their lives. And, um, you know, I'm somewhere probably more towards that spectrum. I can't get enough of all of it, but, um, I have seen, you know, with with having a retail media store, um, we have some some amazing, amazing regular customers. Uh, there is a gentleman who will remain nameless, who is just one of the coolest, most knowledgeable film dudes ever. He comes into the store every single day and he buys such a wide variety of different types of films. Very little horror, um, a lot of more kind of new boutique label releases and and queer cinema and shot on video stuff and and he has like actually revitalized in me oh and he almost never goes to the movie theater sorry was my point there and he's kind of revitalized in me just like the exploration process of finding 
new to you films without setting foot in a theater. Now I'm always jabbing him about like, did you go see this? Did you go see this? And that doesn't really interest him. He's going to see it on his time in his way at home while spending money and supporting this industry, but not going into the theater. And, um, you know, I would always kind of be a little judgmental of like cinema people who don't go into theaters, but it's, it's kind of changed my perspective. As long as you're enjoying and supporting film in whatever way that you're able to, I think that's what matters. That's yeah. It's kind of an interesting thing. Cause like, I've definitely noticed there's people that like, Oh, gotta get that box set. And it's like, Hey, we're doing, we're doing the actual like Blu-ray release of it. Like, nah, I'll just wait for it to get shipped. But uh, <laughs> sp- speaking of the archive and vinegar syndrome, how did you become involved with working at those projects? Or I, I guess, how'd you get involved with vinegar syndrome is the real mm-hmm. question. Yeah. So vinegar syndrome is based out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, that's where the main HQ is. That's where the, the film lab is. They do all the restoration work there. Uh, and then there is a brick and mortar store there called the archive. That is the first brick and mortar store that they, they operated. And a few years ago, uh, they, as a company, were kind of looking to start maybe moving West, um, and setting up another distribution center in the Western part of the country to help facilitate uh, shipping with, with the Western half of the U S because shipping tens of thousands of orders uh, all the way from the farthest East coast to West coast is very, you know, takes a long time and media mail can be very slow and to give the best customer service possible. It seemed like it was probably realistic to start looking at, at some spaces out West and um, honestly, a friend of mine was a friend of a friend with with uh, somebody that had been with vinegar syndrome from the beginning. And uh, she, God bless her, put in a word with him when they were kind of talking about Denver as a possibility. And she had mentioned me to him and that I had been a programmer for a long time. But I also come from from a very different background that that most people think when they look at me or see me working at the video store, which is I worked in production for close to a decade um, for a local production company in Denver. Uh, and I worked from casting, research, associate producer, uh, eventually landing as a line producer for a variety of reality TV programs. So I come from a long production background. That's what I went to school for. That's what my degree is in. So between having a production background, being a, a film nut, but also working in that industry, I, I know a thing or two more than just like, I love horror movies. Um, so I had the opportunity to meet with with that gentleman from Vinegar Syndrome and I applied for a job just like anyone else would. And, uh, you know, I kind of said this would be my dream job. And I'm sure you hear that every day. But here's also what I could bring to the table and how I could be a useful um, you know, benefit to the company. And he took a shot on me and um, has given me incredible opportunities within the company. Um, but this truly is, you know, my life. <laughs> I, I, I love cinema. I love genre cinema. I live it. I breathe it. I watch it. I do it. It is, it is me, but I also am a professional person and, um, you know, work very hard for, the things that I love, which, you know, is, is film. And, um, yeah, it's been a great fit with vinegar syndrome. And again, they've given me and Denver a lot of opportunities to, to just 
further build and perpetuate a film community here and and throughout the whole Western region of the U.S., which all of your vinegar syndrome packages do come. If you live in the West U.S., they all do come out of the Denver area. The other thing I want to ask is like you also occasionally will work conventions, correct? Or do you? Okay, you're not again. Yeah. I do a little bit of everything. So uh, I worked for a very long time in the vinegar syndrome warehouse, shipping packages, shipping, getting everybody's Blu-rays out the door. And uh, I do also work the tabling at horror conventions, at film festivals, uh, meeting our customer base, selling movies, talking movies, brand building, uh, doing screenings. And then I do also now manage the archive. Uh, so I'm physically in the store. And again, it, it's, it's not that different than working a table at a convention. It's it's meeting the customers and meeting genre fans and, and selling the movies and, um, you know, building that brand. But, you know, we are not just the Vinegar Syndrome store. We sell a variety of, yeah. of used and new media from VHS to Laserdisc to Blu-ray, DVD, vinyl, UHD, uh, one sheets and posters, horror apparel, and on and on and on. But anything for a horror fan, but also just genre fans. We have tons of customers that come in and don't care about horror. They like finding used, you know, Criterion Blu-rays, or they like buying laser discs. You know, people that are just into all different facets of of cinema and and film and and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, we did start just two days a week and then grew it to three. We're now open four days a week and, and we'll be open five days a week sooner than not. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about horror conventions and that kind of stuff. And I always feel like it's an untapped market. Do you feel like when you're, you know, tabling at these things, do you like, are you trying to like, Hey, I show screenings. Do you feel people are receptive or do you feel like there's the physical media crowd there's the rep cinema crowd and then there's the horror convention crowd, which I feel like is, I don't, I mean, at least out here, there's tons of people I know that wear like horror movie shit that will never set foot in a movie theater and like, God damn it. I've been trying to unlock that mystery. Do you feel like you've had any headway with that or is it just, <laughs> is it just the same that I'm dealing with? So, you know, again, people are, are multifaceted <laughs> and some people like a variety of different things and some people like very niche specific things. And sometimes those overlap and sometimes they don't. Um, horror conventions or or any kind of niche convention, whatever it is, Star Trek, horror movies, whatever convention, those are of people that are into a very specific thing. And um, something like a horror convention, you know, it's a lot of people that come to meet. Uh, celebrities to meet actors to get autographs to take pictures and a lot of that audience they they come just for that they want to meet you know freddie get his autograph for john carpenter and they're also you know um some of those can be very um cost heavy so they're they're coming with that goal they're not coming to buy blu-rays they're not coming to shop for horror stuff others are you know they're they've been saving up money and they are coming and this is like a pilgrimage to buy all the stuff and get all the autographs and meet all the people um i think (laughs) in my and this is my personal experience and my opinion only that 
many times the horror convention crowd is not the repertory cinema crowd. Uh, I think they do go to see the new Evil Dead movies or they go see the whatever um, Terrifier movies, but they're not necessarily into some of the older films or the lesser known films or seeing something on 35 millimeter. And that I'm not, you know, that's a generalization that is not always the case. That has just been my experience, but I'm always trying to change that. When I am working at a at a convention or anything, it's like, to me, they're all pieces in the same puzzle of things that, in theory, we all enjoy. If you like meeting this person, therefore, hopefully you like them because you watched their movies, and maybe you've seen some of their movies on the big screen, and you should also buy some of their movies. To me, that just all feeds into the same thing. Um, again, I know for myself, <laughs> I want to go to the rep screening, and then I buy a t-shirt, and then I want to own that physical media. So to me, it's like a no-brainer that they all fit together, but but that's not everybody's um, experience. That's not what everybody enjoys. Collecting physical media is... It takes up a lot of space. My house is crazy. Um, I have, you know, an incredibly understanding partner who is not into the stuff I'm into very much. He he likes movies, but he is not a collector. He doesn't give a shit about my VHS tapes. He thinks they take up too much space in the house. And uh, he's been incredibly generous with our shared space. And, um, you know, as, as kind of selfish as it might sound, much of our house is filled with my my things and my collections and my movies and my various formats that all those movies need to be on. And, you know, he loves me. So he, he kind of puts up with it. And I know that makes me sound like a really selfish, shitty person, but, um, a lot of people don't, they don't want to collect the stuff. It's just stuff. It's things. Yeah. It's pieces of plastic and paper in your house, taking up space, acquiring dust on top of it that sometimes you open every few years to watch, but really it's just sitting on a shelf. But, you know, for me as a collector, those things do bring me joy, as silly as it sounds. And knowing that I have the director's cut of irreversible straight cut and normal cut on the shelf in a slipcover that makes me happy and I'm glad to have that thing. And um, that might sound silly and ridiculous to a lot of people, but sometimes to me, like, Oh, paying for an autograph that is a picture of you. That's going to sit on your table. That might seem ridiculous to some people. Everyone has their thing that they're into and that they want to spend money on. And that brings them happiness. And, um, you know, I would just like to see more people kind of like going to the theater, enjoying rep cinema, uh, appreciating or why film, why seeing a 35 millimeter print is is special and why that's important. And that when that goes away, it goes away forever. And the history with that, um, I would just like to see more of those worlds kind of mixing together. Let's just love cinema, all of it. It's it's funny you mentioned that irreversible in the slipcover. Uh, I just recorded a re episode. This is going to come out later in this episode, but we just I, with Dick, who I do the podcast normally, we were talking about physical media because I, you know, re when I moved out of apartments, I got rid of like two thirds of my Blu-ray collection, and I've been in this crisis of like, do I need stuff versus that kind of stuff? And then his big complaint was like, I didn't even fucking know that that irreversible went on sale. I missed the slipcover. It's like, I don't want the one without the slipcover. So I, I, I'm just going to rag him and know it's like, I know someone has one. You can't get yeah. it now. 
just people were going crazy and that's a whole nother you know world <laughs> is is you know collecting physical media but yes the slip cover or the box set or this you know yeah. limited edition packaging is um some people don't care they just want to watch the movie they don't give a shit yeah. but many people are like i don't even want it yeah. i don't want it in my life if it doesn't have very specific limited packaging to me it is just worthless um and they, yeah i i'm i'm kind of somewhat one of those people but then other times i'm like i just want to see the movie and i also at this point in life I, I can't bring every single thing home and i can't spend all my money on this stuff so i have to be more selective about do i need this mm -hmm. item or do I just want this item and who cares? So, you know, again, my partner does um, have kind of a little, a little bit of rules on me now where I have a one in one out policy. So if I'm bringing some home, I better really want that thing because it means I got to get rid of something else. <laughs> so we show genre stuff. And let's be honest, a lot of that stuff is problematic. And I always say these movies were problematic when they came out. It's not just the new lens. Obviously, the new the lens of 2023 is not going to be kind on a lot of this stuff. But a lot of this shit was just like people were not happy or pissed off or offended by it back then. You know, as you're picking movies and you know you're going to show stuff that like, you know, exploitation genres full rape revenge and like, you know racially insensitive stuff how do you navigate as a programmer like do you just say like is the value of the overall experience of watching this movie in a theater going to be more than the problematic aspect or do you look at it as that this is for an educational purpose this like do you get to step into a world that you don't necessarily want to live in or belong in but just take a glimpse of like this is how the world was perceived perceived either during that time period or by a incredibly fucked up individual who made the film. Yeah. So I, I kind of, that's a day to day um, thing with selling films and, and working for a restoration company that puts out a lot of exploitation films. And, uh, and, and I, I do, um, I don't enjoy enjoyments, the right word, but I do, I do, watch exploitation films and horror films and a lot of those like you said are racially insensitive they're very you know seven rape revenge and and what we you know cringy i guess is the word that we use now but um when i saw certain things um i do give a, a disclaimer or a trigger warning if you will about especially like sexual assault um as a woman but also as you know trying to just be a sensitive person you know that this film might have some some things that could you know trigger people um i do try to be sensitive to that stuff um when when also just working in the store working at conventions i think a lot of the people that are collecting this kind of media they they that that's not like a surprise to them that like oh this was created in the 70s and it's it's fucked up um but i also do feel strongly about like pretending that films like these don't exist or or you know, not showing them that's not my mo um I think people have the right to choose what they want to see. And if I give a warning before a movie and somebody says, yep, you know, I don't want to see that. I always say like, we're more than happy to refund your money for the ticket. I don't want to like force anybody into a situation of seeing something they don't want to see. Um, or if somebody buys a movie, you know, that's, that's their choice. They can, we have this amazing thing called the internet in our pocket where you can look up a film 
and there shouldn't be like a huge surprise, especially with rep screenings of something that came out 40 years ago. It shouldn't be like, oh, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, but I will continue to show films that I think should be seen and that have controversial subject matter. And I do view, you know, film very strongly as an art form and, and something that, you know, we should not suppress and that, that, you know, filmmakers that make Gaspar Noé, John Waters, having actors eat shit, um, you know, challenging films are our art. And it may not be the kind of art that certain people like to see, and that's their choice. But there are people that that support that kind of filmmaking, and I am one of them. And I truly believe in, in filmmakers having the freedom to make something that they want to make to express themselves, as long as it is truly not hurting other people. Um, you know, I personally, I do feel very strongly um, about animals, and I work with a rescue organization for pit bulls, and I do not take any pleasure from watching films that um, abuse or kill or torture animals. That for me is not entertainment. But then people can question me and say, oh, but you'll watch a movie that has violence against women or sexual assaults against a woman. And, and I don't have an answer for that necessarily. But everyone has their their limits or their life experiences that they have gone through and things that they don't want to see. And I don't want to see violence against animals. That doesn't mean I enjoy seeing violence against women, but I do enjoy 70s cinema and exploitation cinema and horror. And many of those films, you know, they are based around violence against women. That's that's horror, folks. That's the horror genre. And I think that watching those films and, and educating yourself and, you know, um, that's that's part of just appreciating cinema. And that's not all that I like. I you know I'm not a total fucking ghoul. I also enjoy, you know, Charlie Chaplin and high <laughs> art films and silent film and other things. But but I am a big proponent of filmmakers being able to make challenging films that make people uncomfortable. And um, you know, it is it is art. That is a perfect answer for that i the way i always approach when i do something that's going to be i don't i don't want to say frown upon but something that's going to be challenging and can be upsetting depending on people's personal experience because not everyone has lived the same life i i do trigger warnings for my stuff but i i don't want to spoil stuff and like but at the same time i can't assume people are going to do due diligence and actually look up the movie they're going to go see so then i always will point to a bigger movie that's probably in the same genre just to like give the context but i i don't think those movies should vanish and i think it'd be a disservice because there's a lot to learn about movies and just like how little you know, the world is advanced from like, you know, people think, oh, things are vastly different from 1970s. Yeah, close technology and stuff. A lot of the sediment and that kind of stuff is exactly the same. I showed targets back in May. And unfortunately, when I showed targets, there was a shooting that happened that day, which I hate to say has been that's happened a couple times when I've had like movies that have to deal with gun violence. And at the beginning of Targets, it goes like 1966 and goes like this whole thing about how much gun violence is. And at the end, it says, how do we stop this? And it's just like, apparently there's no way because in 1966, this was a fucking problem and it's still a problem. So I think like exploitation movies, it's like you get to see a slice of that life, but it's also just like kind of reinforces that like 
you know, you can try to change the world. You can try to change the morale of cinema and everything's like sanitized and safe. But like all you're doing is pretending like there's not a bigger problem when really it's just like you're just covering it up. And like I appreciate seeing the scars, the warts, the ugliness of what the world was doesn't mean I endorse it. And that's one thing I always say as a film programmer, I'm not necessarily endorsing the movie and everything that happens with it. I'm just showing, I'm setting up the context for the experience and whatever you take from it is what you're going to take from it because that's part of going to the movies and being in a communal room. I like that. Setting up the context of the experience. Yes, very much. Uh, which comes back to now, again, with a lot of the movies you show, some of them are kind of dated and goofy. One of the things that comes up a lot is people laughing at inappropriate shit in movies. And I, as long as I've been going to rep screenings, I've seen people laugh and you can't dictate how people are going to interpret stuff. But I do think giving the right context, you can control so people aren't laughing at every little fucked up thing. Because I've been in screenings where people rape or laughed at rape scenes and like that's fucking inappropriate. And But I always try to like if I know the movie's going to be a little if it's going to be like Nightmare City or Burial Ground, obviously it's like people are going to lose their shit and like laugh their asses off just because they're ridiculous and not because they're bad. It's just because of the absurdity of it. So how do you when you introduce a film, obviously you're doing cosplay and that kind of stuff and you have bands and stuff. But like, how do you set the tone for whatever you're screening, regardless of what the movie is? Yeah, absolutely. So that is something that. The the laughing during inappropriate moments. Um, when I am just a viewer and it's not my screening and I go to a movie and, and there is that just laughter in those totally inappropriate things, it, it drives me personally insane. Um, I, I understand what people are doing it because people are uncomfortable and the reason and for them to, you know, release that laughter is like breaks that tension. Um, but it, for me, it completely takes me out of the moment and it makes me insane and it makes me actually want to leave a, a screening. Um, when I'm setting up a movie and I do also show a lot of goofy stuff and silly stuff and and it's it's a screening. Have a good time. You know, this isn't mystery science theater. Like, please don't. You're never yeah. going to be funnier than the movie, folks. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but that... have a good time. Um, have some banter. Have a, some beers. Laugh. Have a good time. But also my thing is just like, just be respectful of those around you. And if, if someone is being raped on screen and you are just cackling out in laughter, uh, that's bizarre and unfortunate and um, strange and, and sad because there's just nothing funny about it. Or, a, you know, a, a turtle is getting impaled and deshelled and it's a laugh riot. I mean, that's a different perspective on a film. But, um, you know, I want people to always have a good time and enjoy themselves. But sometimes it can be a fine line where, you know, people are just, it's it's hilarity ensues no matter what is happening on the screen. Um, and I do try to, you know, set the tone somewhat, but I also don't want to dictate people's responses to to film um but I, again if i'm showing something that's i i can use uh, like a martyrs or an angst or something where you know i do give a little bit of a trigger warning without trying to spoil but i think um you know i try to set that tone of like you know this is challenging cinema this is a rough film this could make you uncomfortable we will give you your money back Enjoy. I think that sets the tone right there that it's not a laugh riot. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm a pretty um, 
uh, I can be a, a little <laughs> sardonic person and I can be, you know, kind of little, uh, I think I'm, I think I can be, you know, kidding around and have a good sense of humor, but maybe that is not always accurate. But when a movie is silly and fun, I, I definitely try to enforce that and emphasize that. And I think that kind of lets people know, okay, this isn't, you know, the fucking Academy Award winner of that year. It's okay to make a little, some quips and stuff. But I, I do, um, I just feel strongly about people just being respectful in the theater, no matter what they're seeing. And that is turning off your cell phones and, you know, not texting or checking emails. Like if you're that bored where you need to look at your phone because you're so bored, please just leave. You know, you you can check your email in the lobby or just go home. You don't need to do it inside the theater while a movie's playing or texting or or taking a call or checking Facebook or whatever you're doing. Like that should never, ever be happening in the theater. But inappropriate laughter, I can't control that as much. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes it is it is very rude and it does take people out of the moment. But, you know, if there's other people laughing and have a good time, that's that's the ultimate goal. Get have a good time and see a movie you haven't seen or, or re-enjoy it. But um, when it's me in the theater watching something that I'm not hosting and somebody is laughing at a rape or whatever, I will leave. Yeah, I I, I think it just all depends because I've been to rep screenings that have just gone badly off the rails. And like I, I always try to be mindful of whatever I'm screening because like, you know, I did a in a glass cage and like my my thing was like, this is going to be the last time I watch this movie because it takes years off my life. And then when the movie ended, it was like a funeral procession coming out of that movie. And I was like, I mean, people would laugh at stuff there. I mean, movie, I'm not saying, you know, people shouldn't laugh in movies or whatever. Cause like there's other times I showed, um, Ingmar Bergman's hour of the wolf. And I tried to get the audience excited. It's like, Hey, this is Bergman doing a really great horror film. There's humor in, it and all this. And like, I basically was the fucking criterion channel crowd. And they just like could only consume it as like, Hmm like very intellectual as opposed to just taking the movie as is and my ultimate goal. And I think your ultimate goal is like, take the movie as is, as, and that's the experience. Now, something else I want to ask you that I'm interested in is like, have you ever thought about expanding your programming palette and getting, you know, because as a genre film programmer, sometimes you get pigeonholed and there's like, Movies, because obviously you love film outright. Have you ever wanted to do programming that's outside the scope of what you do? Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, because again, I do love all cinema. And, and I've done some other things, you know, that were outside of the, the kind of screen screen moniker. Um, again, I had done a series called Church of Cohen that was Cohen Brothers. Um, I would love to do a Charlie Kaufman series Uh as a writer, as a director, um, I would definitely like to do some stuff, but I also do with at least the scream screen branding. I do kind of want to keep it pure to, to horror, to genre, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't be interested in, in other things outside of that scope. And that could be a collaboration with somebody else too. But, uh, I, I am a very kind of picky about what, what scream screen does show. And even when I do kind of deviate from horror, I do kind of emphasize that you know this is not a traditional horror film in, in the you know textbook case but there's still those those elements are still there and i definitely have over time got a little more um you know i'm not showing that the obvious horror stuff but um you know i show william friedkin's sorcerer which is nowhere near a horror movie but as part of like a hell on wheels series about like automotive terror vehicular 
terror. And if that film is the, the epitome, you know, you're sweating while you're watching it. You're just, oh my God, the, the scene with the truck on the bridge. And that's a terrifying, horrific movie that is just, you know, needs to be seen. And, and that was a, a subgenre series that I felt like this film is the epitome of that feeling, you know, hell on wheels. Um, and then, and, and just other, you know, I recently, uh, about a year ago, talking about this subject, but also with kind of letting people know what they're in for, showed one of my very favorite films, The Mafu Cage, a very, very underseen film by a female director, um, Lee Grant and um, Carol Kane. Thank you, Carol Kane. That is, you know, it is animal stuff and a relationship with an animal that is extremely difficult and while you don't see that look I get teary I just even talking about that film but um you know I went very back and forth with I really want to show this movie but it it evokes such strong feelings in me Uh, but that's the definition of a great film and um I was nervous about showing that but I let kind of people know what they were in for without doing a spoiler and I showed that film and I always kind of hang out in the lobby after. And I love chatting with people and having that post film discussion. And uh, every person said, wow, what an amazing movie. And I had never heard of it. I would have never seen it. I will never, ever forget it. Um, that is like the importance of again, showing those films, but that is a film that again, you know, it's, it's, a horror movie it's a drama it's a uh, a story of sisters it is so many things <laughs> that it's kind of hard to defy as a specific genre and again that's the films i like to show too where it's not easily pigeonholed into this is this specific genre so long answer <laughs> to your question yes i want to show everything I want to show a variety of things, but I think with Scream Screen, I I do want to keep it kind of pure. I'm not going to show, you know, half-baked Scream Screen. (laughs) No, I love it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, I guess kind of getting towards the end here, we're, you know, as, you know, coming out of the lockdown and like, you know, having a world where we couldn't screen things in a movie theater, but now everything is reopened again. And like, just having realizing kind of like that experience is more precious than a lot of people really think, you know, as you know, you keep doing this, where do you see um, scream screen going in the future? Where do you want to see it go? Do you want to see the expand beyond you? Obviously you're doing show, you're doing screenings outside of Colorado and, off-site events and stuff, but where do you want it to see it really go in the future? And if some of this is secret shit, I understand you don't have to reveal it. <laughs> well, total world domination, Jim, has always been my goal. <laughs> but um, in the meantime, you know, I just want to see people go into the movies. <laughs> I want to see people experiencing film. Um, again, I, I feel very strongly about film preservation and 35 millimeter and want to continue to show as many prints as possible when that is a viable option. And, and, and really just, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a projectionist and I'm not an expert in film and I don't do film restoration though. I work for a company that does, but I am somebody that truly believes in the importance of film. And I kind of want to continue to really, really, you know, spread that love and that message to people of, of what is film 
why is it important? Why should anybody give a shit? Is there even a theater left in your town that has the ability to show film? And and why should people care? A lot of young people, you know, that are going to the movies and that's great, but they don't sink when they look at the screen. Like, where is that image coming from? You know, is it a button being pushed? Is it, they don't think about that. And I think it is, it is something that is very important. It's part of our, our history and it's part of, a very important story of, of filmmaking. And there are a lot of young filmmakers that are shooting on 35 still and putting out prints. And Vinegar Syndrome is, is a huge proponent of that. They uh, only release films, restorations that were shot on film, on 16 or 35 millimeter, restored from the original camera elements. And um, that also excites me being able to show and program a lot of our films, especially if there's a film print, but just kind of teaching people like this is what that means and this is why that's important and, and that this is a part of our history that when when there is no longer a theater with a film projector in it that can show film, that's not coming back. It will be gone forever, just like the drive-in theaters, you know, and those things. Denver is just about to lose our last drive-in theater, and that will probably be closing at the end of this summer, and and that's heartbreaking, too. And those things, they're not going to come back. Like, <laughs> there's kind of retro, retro things, but like a film projector and <laughs> film and people that are trained with the ability to, to, to do that work, to project the films. Those things will die, and I want to see them live on for as long as possible. And I know you feel very strongly about that, and the theater that you program out of also does that. And that's something, I guess, um, is part of my long-term mission is why should anybody care about film? Let me tell you why it's important. Um, where do you see just kind of overall the future of rep cinema? I'm kind of scared to answer that. Um, I hope people like yourself, you know, you have amazing programming. You do a weekly series. I do a monthly or so series. Um, but I, I think <laughs> I want it to live forever. And I know there's so many amazing programmers, uh, past and present that are all over the country and, you know, just gotta keep doing God's work as they say, um, with things like streaming and the ability to watch everything at home, though we now know that streaming is a very limited platform and there are so many films that are not available and will never be available. Um, rep screenings are so important. And, and just that, that opportunity to see a film on the big screen with Dolby sound, eating popcorn with a theater full of other people. That's a truly magical experience. And um, people of our age group, um, you know, I want to see young people seeing these films in the theater that they wouldn't have been able to see because they were born at a different time. Just as you and I grew up seeing rep cinema, you know, I wouldn't have been able to see certain things on the big screen if, if a programmer didn't make that possible for me. And those memories have stuck with me forever. So, you know, support your local programmer, go see a rep screening, bring friends to that, support your local theater, art house theater, any theater that's showing film, go to the fucking movies that's beautiful like 
Truly. Uh, because you mentioned it, because I do, I've been doing weekly for over a year now, and you basically do monthly, which I used to do. Would you ever consider shifting to do weekly screenings? Jim, I would love to do so many things in this life. Um, I need to just give up sleeping because right now it's really cutting into the time could be doing more. Uh, I would love to do weekly. It's this not going to happen. I, um, yeah, I have too many hobbies and interests and cinema is just one of those things. <laughs> I mean, it's my job, which I love, but it's also, you know, I, I just, um, I'm very into cactus and dogs and uh, so many other things that take up the rest of my free time. And then I just pass out every night from exhaustion. So, so right now the answer is no, but um, maybe in the future when I, cut out like three other hobbies, then there's a possibility to free up some more time. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. I feel like, I feel like I'm on a never ending loop doing weekly screenings. So like, I mean, the only reason I know what any week is, is based on because my screenings are on Monday and like, Oh, what's the Monday movie? That that's, the, that's the only way I can tell any difference between any week. Uh, so usually to close out this podcast, I like to ask, uh, I guess the, what they've been reading, watching or listening to and or listening to on a segment called read, watch and listen. So Teresa, if you don't mind, could you tell us what you've been reading, watching and or listening to lately? And don't feel bad if you've been missing out on reading or listening or one of them. It, most people don't get all three. So. I try to get all three. Uh, I, I used to be an avid reader. I'm going to be honest. I'm ashamed to say I don't read as much as I used to anymore, but I actually just got um, a gift from a friend, the new Elvira um, book biography, autobiography that she put out. And I actually just started that and it's amazing. Love Elvira, of course. So um, I'm not as deep into that as he is, but um, I am reading that right now. Uh, watching, I'm always watching something and um Though it is summer right now, and I actually like to do go outside sometimes and actually disconnect myself from a screen, so I'm not watching as much as I could be, but I just got done watching Jury Duty, uh, a series on Amazon. Uh, I do love trashy reality TV, and I'm not ashamed to say that, and I do love Lifetime movies, and I'm not ashamed to say that, but I just finished Jury Duty. And it's a fun reality show. Uh, it's kind of like those like Joe Millionaire or whatever, where everybody's an actor except the dude. So he thinks he's going in for jury duty, and but they're filming it for a documentary, but everyone's an actor except for him and mayhem ensues. But it actually does have a really heartwarming ending that I didn't expect, and it made me feel like less of a garbage person. Oh. And then listening to, um, I love music and everything, but I've actually been listening to a lot of um, case file, true crime podcasts in lieu of music in the car. Um, I love true crime and they are um, Australian podcast, very well narrated, just a straight true crime narrative. They are wonderful. I love listening to those. All right. So Teresa, where can people find Scream Screen online if they want to look you up? Yes, uh, you can go on the internet 
to scream-screen.com. And there is always, hopefully, an updated listing of screenings and events that are happening, including events outside of Colorado, uh, as I am hitting the road here again soon. And you can also go to denverfilm.org for any Colorado-specific screenings at the C Film Center. Uh, In terms of vinegar syndrome, if you're not familiar, we are a film restoration and distribution company specializing in horror, exploitation, and B-movies, predominantly from the 70s and 80s, but not so much now. We also have things more modern, and you can go to our website at vinegarsyndrome.com. We ship Blu-rays all over the world, uh, so check out our catalog online. If you live in the Denver metro area or coming to Denver, please come visit us at the Archive located in Aurora off 14th and Dayton. We are open currently Wednesday through Saturday, 11 to 6, but those hours will be extending in the future. We have an amazing collection of new and used physical media. Again, VHS, Blu-ray, Laserdisc, DVD, UHD, all of that good stuff. And uh, tons of horror and non-horror stuff. And the store looks really cool. So you should just come check it out also. Both you and Scream Screen and the Archive are on Instagram, Facebook, and I don't know about Twitter, right? Yes, Instagram, uh, at The Archive Colorado, all one word, at Scream, period, Screen. I know it's a tongue twister, at Vinegar Syndrome. Um, Yes, all over the social media stuff. Okay. Thank you for joining us, Teresa. And I guess one quick throwaway question. Would you ever consider doing a marathon of Lifetime movies? Yes, of course. (laughs) I hope to do one later today. Uh, I do love Lifetime movies of all eras, but even the new trashy ones. But yes, they're so good. I also want to say, Jim, that I, uh, before you and I met, I was actually a fan of Cinematic Void, and I respect you and your programming very much. Um, I had heard of Cinematic Void for years, but it was actually during quarantine, during COVID, when the world shut down, and you were doing remote programming through your YouTube channel, and you had your camp series and stuff, and I think I had told you this in person, but Uh, It was dark days here in Denver, and um, we always have friends over for screenings, and it was really hard not being able to watch films with friends and not being able to go to the movies. So remotely, every I think it was on Friday nights, Mm -hmm. we would um, get a group together and remotely, you know, text or Instagram, and everybody, you know, hit play, and we would watch Cinematic Void uh, double feature marathons together with a group of friends, and. it, it made me feel like a little bit of normal during those dark closure days. And it's such an honor to actually meet you and call you a friend and bringing you to Denver. And I look forward to hopefully working with you again in the future. And you and I need to collaborate on a screening. We definitely do. Uh, you definitely need to do something in L.A. at some point. That That has been my goal because I've been people have been so generous in the the my film program friends of letting me do January Giallo with them. I've been trying to like, hey, if you guys are coming out or you want to do something with me, let's talk. So definitely, because you're one of my favorite film programmers and one of my favorite people. And thank you for sharing that. Even though you've already told me that, it's still, I don't know. It, it makes me happy that after losing my fucking mind and just like, I need to figure out something to do so I just don't go completely insane. Like that still meant something to people. And I still do those from time to time. I actually have, I mean, this is not going to come out to later, but I do have an episode that's coming out on, yeah, this upcoming Friday the 30th. I'm doing another camp triple feature. 
Awesome. Well, I will plan on tuning in and I know you have such a dedicated audience. I actually had a customer in the archive last week who was from LA and said, oh, Jim, cinematic void in a glass cage. So uh, your, your reach also maybe goes a little farther than you realize, but I want to give you a prop and, and, and you're an amazing programmer and it's an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you for including me. Absolutely. And that guy did come up to me um, actually last week when I did house by the house on the edge of the park, he came, I was like, yeah, I met Teresa. And like, I bought the Amityville box set. I was like, good, <laughs> good. And I was like, yeah, it's, I, I like that people can be unified through movies because that at the end of the day, what we both do and a lot of our friends do is we're just trying to unify and get people to be happy with cinema. Amen. 